Hello, and welcome to the Relatable Homeschoolers podcast. We are four homeschooling mamas with a combined 32 years of experience homeschooling our 12 kids, and our homeschools are anything but Pinterest perfect. Whether you are a veteran homeschooler, a new homeschooler, or just homeschool curious, we want to encourage you in your homeschooling journey and offer you practical tips and tools to make your homeschooling life easier. We're so glad you're here. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Relatable Homeschoolers. I'm Lindsay, and today I have the pleasure of interviewing one of my co-hosts, Annie Carlson. Last season, you got to hear Heather and Harmony's snapshots, and this year we're sharing Annie's and my own. So thanks for joining me here tonight, Annie. I'm so excited to talk to you, and I know our listeners know a little bit about you from our previous episodes, but can you just refresh our memories, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then talk about what led you to homeschooling? Sure. I grew up as the child of public school educators. My mom was not just a good elementary teacher, she was legendary, served on national committees to write curriculum and standards. And so I became a science teacher. Science is my passion. And I taught for five years in the public school system and then took a job in a Fortune 500 company as a corporate trainer. So I was still teaching, I was just teaching different things and I was teaching it to adults. Um, Then John and I got married. And we decided that I would stay home with our kids. And so I quickly turned into a stay-at-home mom. And I needed to bring in some income, you know, to support my stay-at-homeness. And so we started farming with a a vegetable CSA, Community Supported Agriculture. And that's how we got our start into producing local food. And then our customers couldn't find the quality meats that they were looking for. And we didn't know where to send them. And so we thought, well, if we don't know where they should go, maybe we should be raising it. And so that's when we transitioned over to raising pasture grass-based meats. So that's what we do. John says we raise grass and we use animals (laughs) to harvest the grass. We are full-time farmers. We have, as I look out my window, horses, sheep, cows, pigs, turkeys, chickens, goats. Sadie the Wonder Pup is our farm dog. And then we have an assortment of barn cats. So we have a lot to do here. And what led us to homeschooling is, is kind of a circuitous route. But I took my oldest when she was five for the preschool screening to go into kindergarten. There were six different stations. As a mom, you can't go with, you have to stay back. And they came to report that she had failed and would not be allowed to go to kindergarten. This was completely out of the blue. I was not expecting this. And they said, yes, she failed three out of the six stations. And I said, well, what happened? What was going on? The very first station, for example, she was supposed to throw a ball down a hallway. And, you know, she'd been taken from her mom and with this stranger and in this strange place. And now she's supposed to throw a ball. Well, I don't know about you, Lindsay, but the rule in our house has always been we don't throw balls in the house. (laughs) So the very first thing they're asking her to do is something she's not supposed to do. There was an episode with scissors. She got frustrated with the child safety scissors. Anyway, it was just like, oh, my gosh, they don't know her. It was a light bulb moment for me because homeschooling wasn't even an option. My kids were going to public school. You know, she didn't have to go to kindergarten. She would have been the youngest in her class. So we could hold her back. It would be fine. But I thought, oh my gosh, they have absolutely no idea what she can do. So that led to conversations with John and I and then preschool because then they said, well, send her to preschool. That will get her ready for kindergarten. Okay. So we looked into that. And at that time, preschool was not free in our state. It was 20 bucks a day to send her to preschool. And I looked at John and I said, I am a trained educator. Do you know what I could do with a hundred bucks a week? So that was our first dipping our toes in 
because I thought I'm not going to pay that amount of money when I can be home with her. And I had two younger kids. So we kept her home and I did preschool at home and we loved it. That was the last time I ever took her to a school. (laughs) We just so enjoyed it. And John always says, we take it year by year, but it's been seven years now. It's such a joy for us. I loved that first year with her. And then, you know, the other two came right behind her and we've just never looked back. It's been so fun for us. Yeah, I think that the more homeschoolers I talk to, the more I hear, oh, I wasn't intending to homeschool. And I know that's kind of the story of all of us too, that we didn't come into it ready to go and knowing what we're doing, just decided to give it a shot and look at us all now, you know, many, many years down the road. from back in the early days to now, what has changed in your homeschool over the years? I have a lot less manipulatives floating around my house. (laughs) Oh, amen. (laughs) I do not have pattern blocks anymore. I don't have counting bears or beans or paper. Oh my gosh, all the manipulatives. You know, people often say to me, well, Annie, you're, you were a certified teacher. You were a classroom teacher. Homeschooling must be so much easier for you. And the opposite is true, Lindsay. Mm -hmm. I have to deprogram myself. I have to step back from my standards-based and performance-based and classroom management training to, this is a class of three. They're all very different. They're different levels. How do I best support them in their learning? And then a lot of misconceptions. I just talked to a couple of moms over the, over the break here that were feeling some doubts. I'll put it that way. And didn't know if they could keep up the level of teaching that they were doing as parents. And I said, you don't have to teach them. Once my kids can read and do their math fact, the principles behind addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, I was pretty much done teaching. Of course, I'm still supporting them. Of course, I'm still providing, you know, instruction and resources and support, but I don't teach. I don't stand in front of them and pontificate on Roosevelt's new deal. They work at their own levels. I have three different levels of math going. They come to me if they have a question, but otherwise they work very independently. That's what I love about my homeschool classroom versus my traditional classroom. So the traditional classroom, I did a lot of teaching, but in the homeschool classroom, they do a lot of learning and that's up to them. I can't make them do it. I learned that as a classroom teacher. You can't make somebody learn something. The homeschool has changed as they've become more independent. I'm just the guide and provider of the resources. I love that philosophy. We also subscribe to that, you know, that my kids are pretty much in charge of their education. And I see myself more as a coach than a teacher. A lot of the time, I think you're totally right. There's this misconception that we're in front of a whiteboard or a blackboard all day with our kids when we're homeschooling, especially as a full-time farmer. I'm sure that is definitely not true for you. (laughs) I think not true for most of us. I work at the same time my kids are working. If we're all sitting down to do something. I'm a part-time pastor and and I have a sermon to give every single week. So I'm doing some research and I'm looking some things up. I'm doing some writing. And so I'm modeling for them. This is work. You know, we're Mm -hmm. all working. I'm learning as I'm crafting a sermon. You know, this is what we do. Even adults do this same thing. This is something we do for a lifetime. This is not just, you know, some sort of internment sentence to be served. This is a, a lifetime habit. Right. What a gift to be able to give your kids that model now. I think it's so awesome when kids are able to see their parents learning new things or figuring stuff out too.
So speaking of changes, I know it's been several years since you started homeschooling and we talked about how your homeschool has changed, but how has homeschooling changed you as a mom or a person? I always hear people tell me, I could never homeschool. I'm not patient enough. And I want to say to them, have you met me? (laughs) I'm not patient. I was asked to speak to a women's group and their theme for the weekend was fruits of the spirit. And so they said, Annie, as our keynote, we want you to just pick one fruit of the spirit to focus on for your keynote. So I said to John, well, which one should I pick? And John was like, not patience. And he's totally right. I'm not a patient person. God refines that in you. That's what I tell people. None of us are prepared to homeschool, but God changes you and works Mm -hmm. on those things using homeschooling your kids to change you. It's made me much more patient. Teaching beginning readers will make anyone patient. The sounding out of the words was an exercise in patience for me. It's made me more open to learning in different forms because my education training, particularly in the sciences, that education happened a certain way. And when you are in your education classes, you fill out the goals of the lesson, right? And it's called SWABAT. Students will be able to. And you list what they will be able to do at the end of your 50-minute lesson. Well, my child can spend 50 minutes on something and be one tiny step ahead or back from where they started. We like to think that learning happens in a linear fashion, that it's just a nice straight line, you know, knowledge versus time on the axis and... It's not. That's never been more evident to me than when you're working in a homeschool environment. You're intimately acquainted with your kids' knowledge and skill level on a daily basis. And so you know that there's going to be times when, oh my gosh, all the pieces fall together and it clicked for them and they just zoom ahead. And then there are going to be times when they are stuck in the mire because it isn't making sense. Just being open to those opportunities, both of them, the times that we're stuck, to focus on the relationship with my kids rather than the result and encourage and support them through that. And then to cheer, you know, when they make those big leaps and bounds. And that's one of the few ways homeschooling has changed me. Yeah, those are great examples. I would just echo everything you said there. It changes us so much. And I think maybe we don't anticipate how we're going to be changed as much as we anticipate the changes in our kids and in our homes, but it definitely happens. mentioned that patience is not your greatest strength as a homeschooler. What do you think your greatest strength is? I like to have fun and make learning enjoyable. Um, Even when I was in the classroom, I didn't want it to be 50 minutes of drudgery for my students. I wanted it to be enjoyable, that they would look forward to coming to class. I think that's the one thing maybe that I've carried on. That and the look. I have a great look because I used to teach ninth graders. (laughs) They can see through it if you're not serious. So I I do have a good teacher look. I love to go on field trips. We are outside a lot. I was talking to another homeschool mom. She's also a farm mom. And she was lamenting over her girls' science curriculum. And I said, oh my gosh, your kids know more about science than most public school kids. Mm -hmm. They're out planting those seeds and nourishing life in any form, whether it be chickens or cows or a carrot. They're invested and that learning 
really comes across for them. Sometimes putting the pencil down and picking up a tool just has much more learning factor than sitting with a pencil. Um, my kids want to build a tack room in our granary, which they can. We have the space and there's a spot for it. So there has never been so much leaps and bounds made in measurement mm. and uh, studies of perimeter and area, inches and feet. Using those experiences to really drive home, this is why we measure. You know, it's hard to remember 144 inches, mm. but it's 12 feet. Making those connections, getting out from underneath the desk or the table or the couch and going to use those skills just really is is what I love to do. Yeah, those lessons, I feel, stick with them so much longer than anything we'll ever teach them out of a book. And especially, I think, when they're invested in making something or building something, like they will remember that probably forever. It'll probably be one of their most fond memories. What has been your greatest homeschooling challenge to date? Um, similar to you, Lindsay, I have a student with a learning disability, and it also is dyslexia. Pushing and encouraging and providing the right tools, again, the patients, especially when we realized that it's not her, it's not anything she's doing wrong, it's simply how she sees the world, and being open to that, encouraging her in those supportive things that she uses to navigate through the world, through her studies, her books, that's been a challenge. My second child, again, was an early reader. I think I taught him reading for four minutes and then he was <laughs> off to the races. I can't stay in front of him, nor do I want to. I don't want to be one of those moms that has to read everything before their kids can read it. Giving him enough is a challenge. Uh, making sure that he's challenged and has enough to explore, um, not just, well, these are the books for the curriculum this is all you get, but making sure he has a lot of auxiliary stuff and opportunities to reinforce those. He's an auditory learner, so he wants to talk about it and listen to people talk about it and talk to other people about it. And so making sure he has those opportunities. And then my third one, she, I don't think has ever sat in her desk. I don't even have desks anymore, but when I had them, she never sat in them. She perched on the top and did her handwriting. Again, she's different. You know, she is kinesthetic learner. She's going to be out and exploring the world and feeling and touching and painting. And I have three very different learners. And so making sure that each of them is supported. I mean, I knew about that as a teacher. Like I knew there were different learning styles and I tried to craft lessons in my classroom that would address all three learning styles. But all three learning styles all day long, every day is a challenge because they're different. Reading uh, Stephen Ambrose's uh, dissertation is not fun for my girls. It's mm -hmm. a perfect afternoon for my son. <laughs> Yeah, I I totally agree. That is a big challenge just to make sure everybody's getting what they need. There just aren't enough hours in the day sometime to, to get it all in. I cannot wait to hear your answer for this because... You have so much that going on, like you're a baker, you're a pastor, you're a full-time farmer. So what trait makes your homeschool unique? <laughs> All of it. I just, I love that my kids have so many opportunities to find something. You know, my husband is a diesel mechanic, so he can fix really anything metal. He can either machine it, weld it, fix it, grind it 
whatever. And then I'm the daughter of a master woodworker. So I got woodworking training. No, I'm nowhere near my dad's level, but I can find my way around a saw. So the kids have opportunities to build and create and learn and wrench. And, you know, we have a commercial kitchen on the farm. So they have opportunities to make and sell products. We have the garden and the animals and all of my kids have animals that they own and care for. It makes going out to do chores, even in the winter, pretty easy because they're their animals, right? (laughs) Your goats need water. All right. I'm going. I love that my kids have all of those opportunities. Now there's a trade-off. We live quite a ways from gymnastics, for example. My kids don't do gymnastics. It's not an option for us. We don't have orchestra because again, that's too far to go. We don't have some of those things that you know maybe homeschool families that live in a more suburban or urban area do have. Particularly people who follow a wild and free kind of educational model or like, oh, Annie, you have the perfect life you know, to raise kids. And I'm like, yeah, well, my kids give up some things too. That's with every homeschool. You can't do it all. Mm-hmm. I can't give my kids the animals that they want and run 60 miles to Bismarck three times a week for mm-hmm. lessons of some sort. And so what makes your homeschool unique is not what's going to make my homeschool unique. Those things that make each of our homeschools unique, that's what we should be celebrating and focusing on. It's easy to look with longing at someone else's homeschool. Oh, I wish we could have a farm like Annie or I wish I could live downtown where I could walk to coffee in the library that just outside my door. You know, sometimes I dream about that, <laughs> especially when it's really cold and snowy, but there's, there's trade-offs. And so focusing on when, what makes your homeschool yours is often a much better use of our time than lamenting and wishing for what other people have. Yeah. I love that you mentioned the idea of trade-offs and not falling into that comparison trap too much because you're right. There's going to be ups and downs to all of our homeschools and we should celebrate the things that make us unique without pining away too much for what other people have. Although when you describe your farm, I want to do like adult summer camp there. So Come just keep out. that in the works. <laughs> Come on out. Oh, I would love that. Can you give us an idea of what a typical day looks like at your homeschool? Well, you know, it's a farm. So anytime I say this is the typical day, then the pigs get out and then it's not typical at all. We have a lot of animals, which means we have a lot of chores. So everybody needs to be at the very least checked on every day. Our grazing animals feed themselves. We just need to move them, check their water, salt and mineral, and make sure that they're cared for. We don't have to do a lot of feeding with them. Chickens and pigs are a little bit different. We have chores of some sort every day. In the summertime, um, we try and do our chores earlier in the day when it's not quite so hot out for us. In the wintertime, we do them a little later in the day so it's a little warmer for us. And so the times kind of shift. I'm much more a rhythm homeschooler than I am a schedule homeschooler. I went to one of my first homeschooling conferences and I went to a session and they talked about scheduling. There's a scheduling book. It's amazing. I bought it. I can't part with it because I love it. I wish it would work for me. It doesn't. But it was scheduling your day and your kids' days. That would work great if I didn't live on a farm. Mm-hmm. You know, the pigs get out at 8.30. Well, shoot. Now it's gone to noon. Now we're behind. <laughs> it didn't work for us. And you may think my pigs get out all the time. It's just a convenient example. My pigs Right. don't get out that often. But it's some unexpected, you know, unexpected stuff happens that kind of 
threw the schedule out the window. So I do more of a rhythm based. At some point in the day, we're going to have chores to do. We're going to have to be outside caring for some animals at some point. Sometimes that's two hours worth of chores. Sometimes it's 20 minutes worth of chores. We're going to be doing school at some point. In the summertime, we like to do it in the heat of the day. So like from 10 to 2 or 11 to 3, we can be inside where it's cooler, go down to the basement, and it's easier to do stuff then. During the winter, we have more time. So I do bigger project type things for my kids in the wintertime. So what we're starting right now, Craftsy uh, used to be just like project kits, you know, like crafting kits and arts and crafts kits. And they kind of switched over to be kind of the master class of crafting and art. And so they did a pre-sale, I guess, of a year-long membership, and it was like five bucks. And I was like, woohoo! And I had done craft kits from them before and enjoyed them. They did a really nice job with them. Some knitting stuff and crocheting stuff I really enjoyed. And so I signed up. And they have a lot of drawing and painting. Now, my kids are already far better artists than their mother will ever be when it comes to drawing and painting. I really can't teach them that, right? That's where I need to outsource that. One of the classes that they have is graphic novels, comics, how to draw, how to get inspiration do dialogue, etc. Like it's a whole series of videos. And so my kids this week, um, they're finishing up some stuff and then we're going to sit down and watch that series of classes. And then Amazon had blank panel pages in a notebook. I got those like six months ago. And so we're going to do kind of a graphic novel, comic project. The wintertime gives us those kind of opportunities to dig in deeper. We've written our own kids books. We've developed our own board games. It lets them have some dedicated time with some cocoa and maybe a snack and they're sketching or whatever. And come summertime, we want to be outside. If we're not outside working, we're outside playing. That's when we do more of our three R's, you know, do more of the core subjects. And then wintertime is when we can explore with those bigger projects. Yeah. I love that we have the flexibility to do that. We do a lot of the same things. Wintertime, we kind of hunker down and do a lot of inside things and summertime's a lot more outside things. I'm so excited to hear about this graphic novel project because my kids are all really into graphic novels and I'm going to have to hear about this class when you guys are done so you can give me your review of it all. That I will. so fun. My daughter has been making her own graphic novels for a little while now so that would be right up her alley. Yay! Yes! I'm excited for it. Yeah. Speaking of when you guys do your three R's, how do you choose curriculum for your kids? I spent a long time studying curriculum. Even before I was a homeschooler, I was a curriculum junkie. I wrote my own science curriculum because none of the curriculum that were out there were what I really wanted for my science classes. Mm -hmm. So I, I was familiar with writing my own curriculum that didn't intimidate me. And so I really cast a critical eye on all of the curriculum choices that are out there. And there are open and go curriculum where they tell you each day, this is the handwriting lesson for two. Tuesday. And at first I thought I wanted that because they had littles and that's not my training. I'm a high school teacher. I don't know what I do with kindergartners. But then I thought I can guarantee you that within a week, I'm going to be three days behind in something. Mm. You know, the baby had a blowout or somebody is getting a cold or whatever, like we'd be behind. And so I didn't want that pressure mm -hmm. on myself as the teacher to be, oh my God, we're already behind. Oh, 
But I also wanted academic rigor. So what I eventually stumbled upon is the Robinson curriculum. It is fairly obscure, but those of us who are in it are fairly passionate about it. <laughs> I do a bit differently. And you, there's a website. We'll put a link in the show notes. Their focus is on reading, writing, and mathematics. Strong reading and literature, which, like you, Lindsay, our family loves books. I love reading. We have an extensive family library. There's reading material in every room of our house. So I knew I wanted a strong reading literature focus. And then as a scientist, mathematics is the language of science, right? I knew I wanted something that was strong in mathematics. And then you can do anything if you can write well. So I wasn't so worried about what history curriculum am I going to use? What science curriculum am I going to use? I do not do any formal science with my kids. Um, We do not have a science book. We do not have a science workbook. The only science curriculum I have is a crate of field guides. And if we have a question, we go to the field guides or we go to other resources that we have. My kids are out doing science. I can hear somebody, at least one person gasping. (laughs) I don't do an official science program with my kids. And here's my rationale for that as a science educator. Science is best experienced until you have enough mathematics background to do it. So what we find is that children who learn the parts of a flower in fourth grade think that's all there is to botany and they don't explore further and they don't take botany until they get to college if they're in the science discipline. What I wanted to cultivate in my own children is that sense of wonder, that sense of curiosity, that sense of a rabbit trail that will never end. I didn't want it to be, well, if you fill out this page that labels the parts of a flower, then you're done. We're not done. Science is never done. My kids will not do any formal science book curriculum until high school. I don't do a formal history curriculum. We combine current events with interests and passions in historical figures. My son, for example, I would put up his World War II knowledge, military history knowledge in general of the United States, I would put it up against many adults. He knows far more than I know. And his wish for me was to read D-Day by Stephen Ambrose. And it's 400 pages. And I read it and I kept saying to myself, I love this boy. I love this boy. And he kept asking me questions. And I'm like, I didn't, I didn't realize I was reading for comprehension. I thought I was just reading. And again, that flies in the face of Annie's formal education training, that I don't have specific curriculums and benchmarks for them. But until we get to high school where we're tracking credits, I want them to feel that education is enjoyable and constant and something that we do for a lifetime. I don't believe that that happens with strict formal curriculums. It's been a journey for me, like I said. That's not what I was taught in my education classes, but it's what I found through my anecdotal research group of three. I use Saxon for math because it's spiral and just teaches them one thing per day and then they practice, and then they learn something else, and then they practice. And it's self-teaching. Rarely my kids will say, I don't quite understand this part, and then we'll work it out. But generally, they can read it and do the lesson and do the 30 problems. I also teach for mastery. They have to have a 90% on their math before they can move on from the lesson. You know, I turned in plenty of assignments. I don't know about you, Lindsay. 
but I turned in plenty of assignments that did not hit a 90% and nobody really cared. I just moved on to the next day. I failed a test senior government. It was on Nixon. And my problems of democracy teacher called my dad at home and said, Annie failed this test. And my dad said, maybe you should talk to her about it. Right. It is my problem. It's not my dad's problem. (laughs) I didn't have to retake that test. I didn't have to prove that I did know stuff about Nixon. I still know very little about Nixon. Mm. Full, Full confession. But nobody made sure that I did know it. It just was, well, move on. I didn't want that for my kids. I wanted them to work and to have an understanding before they moved on and not feel like there was a gap. Yeah, that's a great goal. I think that's totally true. I've heard people joke, what happens when a homeschool kid fails a test and the punchline is that they can't because their parents don't let them, right? Like we'll make them learn the subject until they're proficient in it. And I think you're the only person I know in real life who uses Robinson. So it's always interesting to hear you talk about it. I can tell your passion for it. And it's something I, I definitely want to learn more about. It's really interesting to me. Well, and they have a book list, which they used books that were in the public domain, yes, which are fine. I am changing up the book list. I have my own book list. There's just an influence, of course. Ambleside Online also has a wonderful book list mm-hmm. that I've pulled from. Sunlight has great book lists that you can pull from. So I've crafted my own. I always say I'm Robinson inspired. And one of the tenants also that attracted me to it is that he wanted time for his children to pursue their own interests. That was also important to me. So. Yeah, that's huge. I love it. Thinking back on all your years of homeschooling, do you have a favorite homeschool memory that you'd like to share with us? It was Christmas four years ago, and grandpa and grandma were coming to our house. And we don't have large families, so it was just grandpa and grandma coming. And so the kids said to me Christmas morning, Mom, what time are grandpa and grandma coming? And I said, oh, they'll be here about noon and then we'll eat. Good. Does that mean we have time to do school? (laughs) And my first instinct was to go, no, it's Christmas. We're not doing school. (laughs) Like, But then I thought they want to do school. Like, yes, go get your stuff. You can do a few things before they get here. The whole mindset switches. There's no Christmas break if you don't want one. You don't have to have these arbitrary breaks. We don't have it anymore, but we had a trampoline for quite a few years. And in the wintertime, we have to take it down. Otherwise, the snow load will break it. So we always took the trampoline down right before the first snow. And that was, oh, such a sad day. But in the spring, trampoline day was a holiday. There was no school on trampoline day. I'll never forget my kids. Like, good, then we can do school before they get here. Go right ahead. You know, like, I'll never forget it, that they were just so excited. (laughs) You must be doing something right. (laughs) I want them to keep that. I mean, they're older now. They're not going to be quite as expressive as they were as little tykes, but I still want them to have that same joy for learning. Mm -hmm. I agree. That's one of our big goals for our kids too, is that they'll be lifelong learners and know that that's always available to them. Well, I'm about done asking you questions tonight. This has been really fun. So just my last thing, is there anything else that you want to share with everybody before we wrap up? Well, I think in talking to a lot of homeschool moms, particularly the past 12 months, there's a lot of doubt. I don't think I can do it. What if I don't do it right? You know your kids best. And you know that's what got me into this, was realizing that they really didn't know my daughter. And they 
had no idea what she was capable of. You know that about your kids and you know where they struggle and you can help them with that and you can support them through that. You know where they excel and you can watch them fly. You don't have to have all the answers and you don't have to feel entirely prepared and it'll be fine because you're doing this together and you can change course, you can change lanes, you can pull in resources like I do for music and art. I play the piano, but I'm not very good at teaching it. So I have a piano teacher that teaches my kids. So if you've ever thought about it, ever wish you could, you can. I think that's the perfect advice to wrap up on. Thanks so much for talking with me tonight, Annie. I talk with you anytime, Lindsay. You've been listening to the Relatable Homeschoolers podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You can find links to all the books and resources we mention on the show at our website, therelatablehomeschoolers.com. We would love to hear your homeschooling questions. You can email us at therelatablehomeschoolers at gmail.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at The Relatable Homeschoolers. We'd love it if you leave a rating and review for us on iTunes. It only takes a minute and we'll ensure more homeschooling mamas get to hear our show. We'll be back with another episode soon. Until then, happy homeschooling schooling.